BJJ and Life. I'm your host, TJ San Marco, on a beautiful Thursday evening here in Laguna Niguel, California, my favorite place in the world. Um, all love going out to uh, my friends and uh, just all the uh, people that are really pulling together in uh, Houston, Texas, and Beaumont and the surrounding areas. Um, it, it, it makes uh, me very proud today. Um, this is an awesome day uh, today. We're going to have on a couple of people. For the next 20 minutes, we're going to have on um, one of my friends who I train jiu-jitsu with, who is just a uh, fantastic personality and someone uh, whom I not only admire on the mat but off the mat. And his name is Will Wu. He is the director of research excuse me, the director for the Center of Sport Training and Research, associate professor of motor control and learning at, is it Long Beach State? Yeah, Long Beach State University. At Long Beach State University, Will Wu. He is one of the funniest guys at Gracie Baja Academy. Isn't that right, Will? Uh, funny looking, and then my, I guess you could say my jiu-jitsu was pretty funny too. <laughs> and, and not only that, like, but if you're not, sort of just like having having fun and making fun at yourself you're ma- you're equally as good at making fun of someone else as you are at making fun of yourself oh yeah i think that's uh part of our culture at hq is to have it be welcoming and i guess <laughs> one of the ways that i can kind of keep it welcoming is to um, i don't know just joke around a little bit yeah like lighten the mood uh, yeah. it doesn't have to be an all-out brawl all the time i try to keep it Try to roll with a smile is my is my uh, kind of saying. Yeah, I asked. I think I asked you if you minored in smartassery uh, <laughs> while you were at UCLA, a graduate of proud graduate of the University of California at Los Angeles, and you wouldn't cop to that at all. But I'm certain if I talked to any of your classmates, I would find out the real deal. <laughs> we um, used to have a uh, me and a buddy during uh, our uh, lectures that would probably have about 180. To 200 kids in it, and I hope none of my students are listening. But uh, we would we would have uh, we would have competitions uh, during lecture to see who could say the the word corn the loudest. Corn during yeah, corn. It was just this random word. So uh, he would just kind of say corn out loud, and I would uh, raise my hand. And because it's a big lecture hall, I would. I would institute the word corn in my question to the professor. And so I would usually usually win. (laughs) That's like people doing the super troopers meow thing, right? Yeah, I mean, mean, corn's a little tough to work into an evolutionary biology uh, lecture. (laughs) (laughs) But But we had a good time. It was good. This doesn't surprise me at all. In fact... We've actually been planning to have you on for a while, and we want to do a segment where you talk about what you do and you know how maybe it plays into MMA. And we're going to have to do that segment uh, about that, and and I guess I'm even going to come down to the lab and and see what's going on and be around a bunch of like really smart people. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, today, you know, yesterday, like you prompted me. When you spoke about, um, um, you just kind of brought up some UFC topics right off the cuff, and it occurred to me like I've got to have Will on like straight away because you're good at that. So, what were you thinking about yesterday? I don't know. Did well, you bring up Diaz? What did you bring up? Well, 
Well, let me rewind a little bit because a couple days out of the five, I'm saying, oh, DJ's got to have the podcast up. Let me check to see if there's a new episode. And no new episode, no new episode. <laughs> and then I see you last night coaching the kids' class, and I'm saying, let me harass this guy to see if we can get a fresh episode. And uh, I asked you, well, when are you, you going to have your next episode? Because there are a lot of things to talk about. Um, I just wanted to hear your analysis of how the fight went down. And then there's a bunch of different avenues in terms of ramifications for what it means for boxing and MMA. Like, what does Connor do? What does it say about boxing? Our MMA fighters in the UFC. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different ways that... that I mean, you can kind of talk about what happened over the weekend. Um, How does it disrupt kind of what fighters will do, like MMA fighters? Because in my opinion, I mean, MMA fighting is like complete legit in terms of complexity of skill, uh, strategy. And then that's not to mention the physical and psychological demands on, on a person or on an athlete. And then I kind of look at, kind of what UFC fighters are making, you look at what boxers are making, and it's like you have, I mean, you kind of have checkers, uh, people who play checkers making more than people who play chess kind of thing. And so my question would be like, what do you think happens in terms of UFC fighters and wanting to go to boxing, et cetera, and all that? Um, You know, there's several people that already want to go. I'm sure you've kind of heard that, that... um, Cain Velasquez, uh, excuse me, uh, Stipe Miocic has called out Anthony Joshua, the uh, British heavyweight, on Twitter a number of times, actually. Um, Dana White is poo-pooing that um, that fight that he, he really doesn't want it to happen, I think, for a number of reasons. Um, if you look at this, I mean, why do you think he let McGregor do this? Man, it was probably about the almighty dollar in it seems to me that Connor has a pretty strong and significant voice for what happens in the UFC. Um, well, go to the Ali Act. I mean, he went and he got licensed as a boxer in Nevada, which put him possibly under the purview of the Muhammad Ali Act, which says that a promoter does not own you the way that they used to back in the day so that he could he could conceivably box. So the only way to stop him from boxing would have been to probably take him to court, go through a public media war that if the UFC wanted to stop him from boxing, it would have been horrific, a bloodbath for the UFC, just knowing how Conor does his business. And then it probably still would have happened anyway, and they might not have gotten a piece of it. In this instance, they were able to accomplish everything whether they wanted to or not and we don't know what those conversations were that he was able to fight he was able to make a lot of money they were able to get a piece of it and including in the final week actually get a piece of promotion as well where they put it on fight pass etc so that's you know yeah and then you get a you get a conor mcgregor whereas if you blocked him from boxing he's going to be pissed off and now you have a conor mcgregor that may be well, he's probably sees the money in boxing, but he's going to be a little bit more willing to work with you in terms of what you may want to do with him in the UFC. So I think it worked out on all ends, and it was really entertaining to see all that stuff. Um, and I just thought it was super entertaining to actually, to actually watch the fight. I remember sitting, um, sitting there watching it, and I was, it's actually one of, 
one of Javi's wrestling buddies from college. We were watching it together. And we just kept on looking at each other and said, this just looks completely odd. Just the visual of Conor McGregor and Floyd, Mether, uh, Floyd Mayweather in the ring together, it just visually looked just odd to me. Like I couldn't get really get used to it. Um, and we just kept on kind of looking at each other and I was like, wow, what a, what a strange situation. But it was a highly, highly, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert in MMA by any means, more on the fan side, but it was highly entertaining. And I thought I was surprised at how well Conor McGregor did. Um, I, I wasn't all that surprised. That's about what I thought was going to happen based on, first of all, that he was an amateur boxer. He did amateur boxing in Ireland. He trained with a very famous trainer that if you're anybody who's boxed in Dublin, you trained under that guy, and I can't recall his name. Um, so I thought that he would probably get a couple of rounds. I kind of laughed when you had idiots like Max Kellerman saying he won't even land a punch as if yeah. Floyd was still 21 years old and full of piss and vinegar, as they say. Um, he was, you know, he's a 40-year-old man. And, you know, what that what happens at this age is when you your brain tells your body to do something and then your body doesn't do it, you know. Mm-hmm. You think you can do stuff that you can't do. So, um, so yeah. I mean, I thought he he would probably win a couple of rounds, and then he would, pro- as as the weeks wore on, it was like you know he's probably going to get tired. He gets tired, and then Floyd will take over. And the type of cardio that the boxers have, I didn't know Floyd was going to walk forward exactly like he said, and that sort of thing. Like the exact strategy that Floyd was going to employ, I didn't know, and that was brilliant on his part. And Connor was not that far off from winning some more rounds if he didn't, as he said, punch himself out. You know, he just kind of would throw a six-punch combination where maybe a two or three punch would have done and then take another angle and throw a couple of more. You know what I mean? Yeah, you kind of brought up how how everybody, how the media was talking about it in regards to the fight, who was going to win, experts, etc. I actually found it kind of annoying because... People just really operated off of extremes. Well, mm-hmm. well, Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather is going to win. Conor McGregor was going to win. It was like, I mean, those are extremes. Probability. It's probably better to speak in probability. Does Floyd have a higher probability of winning? Yes. Does Conor McGregor have a chance to win? Yes, he does because of his accuracy and his power of his punching, um, and the fact that he's really going from a game that's multi multi variable in nature. To something that's much much simpler singular um, totally singular yeah, exactly so he doesn't have to worry about a whole a whole realm of kind of movement strategic problem sets and just really have to worry about one thing um so i th- i just i it was just kind of annoying how people would kind of say oh yes he's going to win no he's not going to win whereas probably more of they, were, they should speak in terms of probability um of, of one or the other winning. I Going into it, I thought that May- Mayweather had a high probability of winning. Conor McGregor had a chance, but it was not not nearly as high as Mayweather's. I was surprised because I was expecting a fight where, like the Pacquiao fight, that was the most annoying thing where Flay would just run and run and run and run and hit and then run. I mean, in terms of just the sheer entertainment standpoint, that wasn't entertaining for me to watch. I mean, I think boxing aficionados or the purists will say, oh, that's really great skill and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's all fine and dandy. But 
at the end, right? When we when we're all talking about it at the end of the fight, we're saying was that entertaining, and I thought they both did a good job of of really entertaining the people the people who watched it. Um, but I was surprised, and I think this is a consistent pattern by Connor. I told my told my buddy was like he's got a problem gassing out, <laughs> yeah. Like right, I don't know if it's like well because the Nate Diaz fight, I think both fights he. He gassed out. This fight, he gassed out. Um, I know just, I didn't, I didn't know what he was doing from the training perspective, but I knew, like, just what he says if he's mentioning VO2 max. So he is measuring his, uh, his cardiovascular endurance in a, in a sophisticated way. But I don't know specifically what he's doing from a conditioning standpoint. Um, but, like, there are bits and pieces that I hear coming from McGregor or coming from his coaches in terms of what they're doing. Um, and it seems very sophisticated in its like his how he's approaching his performance in using sports science more so than I've seen in many of the kind of combat sports world. Um, so it kind of surprises me that he kind of gassed out in those past those last three fights. Well, there there are certain fighters. Well, first of all, he did train at the UFC Performance Institute, so you know you have the highest tech stuff there now. Yeah. Than, than there is anywhere else. I mean, the place just opened a couple of months ago. But if you look at, there are certain fighters that have trouble with cardio. That and you, you know, our, my friend Claudia Gadelia, who you're familiar with, you know, she's gassed yeah. out on a number of occasions. It was very important to her to go to Albuquerque and get altitude training. Now, if I juxtapose her against Yawani Yenjacek. Does she need to get altitude training? No, because she's already, you know, she's already, her cardio, she trains in Florida and can go five rounds firing combinations in the third, in the uh, the final round. So she doesn't need that. But other people do need that. You know, they, they don't have that. And I would ascribe to McGregor that he is the type of guy that needs to go and get altitude training. Um, and, and, and that, uh, hold on a sec, that, that didn't work out so well, let me see my output, I'm just checking my settings here, okay, that looks good, um, you know, he is the type of guy that, um, uh, that needs to get altitude training to augment his cardio, because he's gassing out, like you saw Claudia gas out against Ioana two, after the second round, she had nothing left, she just gutted it out for another two rounds, but Joanna, yeah. when she went against Jessica, she went the full five rounds, firing, 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 punches, combinations. I mean, she's a you know like a freak. So, uh, and Daniel Cormier is another one. He mm -hmm. realized if, and I want to point out something to you about that. I'll just go off the McGregor road for just a second and go toward the um, and go toward the. Uh, the um, cardio situation. What people don't realize about the John Jones and Cormier fight is he came out very, very sharp in those first two rounds. And it was as high a paced, light heavyweight fight as I've ever seen in my life. Lots of punches thrown, lots of kicks thrown at very close range. Cormier getting inside. John throwing the oblique kick to the knee and then firing combinations. John's boxing is much, much better than it was. But Daniel gassed. Now, I'm not saying he gassed out, but he decided, as he did in the last fight, he was going to take the third round off. Mm 
mm-hmm. to re- regain himself. And when he did, that's when you saw John start piling up unanswered combinations of kicks and punches. And like in jiu-jitsu, if you yeah. and I sit down we slap hands and I don't do anything, are you on offense or defense? Oh, man, if you're not doing anything, I'm going at you okay. with a smile. And let's say I just get grips, but I'm not doing anything offensively. I'm not going for anything. What are you doing? Yeah, I can attack you. Okay, and if I start and I grab your leg and start trying to do a foot lock, what are you doing then? <laughs> what are you yeah, doing? I, yeah, it's you're, it's... you're on defense, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like so, one of those things like they when they say your jiu-jitsu doesn't really start until you're tired. No, that, that, that's not the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that if you are not on offense, then I'm totally on offense. Mm-hmm. Right? And then mm-hmm. what are you doing? You're on defense, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it has to be a mixture of offense and defense. You have to defend. But if you are not offending, as Daniel decided he was going to take the round off, he was a little tired from the, the incredible pace that they had in the first two rounds, so he was going to try to regain himself, and that's where John took over the fight. He started to pile up combinations. He got comfortable. He wasn't having to defend anything, and then he set up the high kick and knocked him out. Well, see, from my from my point of view, Coach DJ, I kind of look at it as in terms of if we look at other sports and what do they do to monitor intensity, volume, and workload, right? So. I kind of like you say that and it makes complete sense, but always from a training standpoint and from a preparation standpoint, I always kind of question, well, you know, or you can somewhat mimic what the workload or intensity can be in a specific situation or for a specific set of time. So if you're, if you're training right, you can monitor and adjust based on the levels of intensity and volume that you're, that you're using. Um, so I, I kind of like from just a training theory standpoint, you kind of look at it in terms of what is the relative measured work rate and intensity level if the fight is going to be uh, just a knock him and bash him and you're just going to stand toe-to-toe and just go at it, right? What is that, in, what is well, that but, work but you, Wait a minute. You're getting micro and scientific, but what I'm telling you is that you can't take a round off when a guy's got the kind of cardio that Jones has in that situation. Do you remember him against Gustafson? Do you remember when he nearly lost that fight? Yeah, and well, well, yeah, I kind of I kind of agree with you <laughs> yeah. there, but DJ, but at the same time, mm-hmm. like um, I would I look at it from the standpoint of okay, John Jones' cardio is better than uh, Cormier's, but why? Like I want to see or well, I want to know like what it is there's probably something that they're doing different from a training standpoint well let me let me tell you a couple of things let's say you're gonna swim laps here in irvine right you go and you do you know whatever you're gonna do 50 laps in the pool and you're gonna do that where you walk across the pool and you're doing punch kick combinations in the pool he's doing it at five thousand feet in laps in the pool yeah, there is there. Even though you know, I kind of uh, it's funny because I'll have this conversation with people when they talk about altitude training. Is um, I don't you don't have to live at altitude to train at altitude. I mean, uh, um, when I talk to my exercise physiology exercise physiologist colleagues about altitude training, um, and my strength and conditioning colleagues about altitude training, one of, I think the 
one of the misnomers is that you have to be at altitude to get it, right? And then you have to train at altitude to get it. Or more, probably a more ideal way to do altitude training is to, like say for example, we have Big Bear that's really close, right? And you can go yep. an hour down the mountain and then train at, at, at sea level. Mm-hmm. So the proper way to do it or the probably the more beneficial way to do it is to live and sleep at altitude, but you train at sea level. And so what they have now, what they have now is you have basically like, you know, what Lance Armstrong used where you can sleep in a tent and it, it reduces the amount of oxygen you can sleep in it. And then you train, you train at, uh, you train at sea level or something below whatever that elevation. Is that what he's doing? Uh, yeah, I mean, okay. cyclists, cyclists use that all the time, but I think a misnomer, and I, I hear it a lot in kind of the combat sports is you go to a camp and you go to elevation and you train at elevation, you sleep at the elevation, you just get your body. I think there's one thing about getting used to elevation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing as using elevation as a training tool, um, I think it's, it's good and it's on the right track, but there's a more efficient road to take while util- utilizing, um, elevation training that's interesting um, so i haven't heard that like, before yeah that's kind of that's kind of one way that one way to one way to do that and so i don't think you necessarily have to live it's well you want to live at it but you want to train at you want to train at sea level um and so it's kind of it's kind of a little bit different to how kind of things are always done so that's why i would always like to look at it as it's not necessarily the individual they're going to be individual different individual uh, difference variables associated with anything physiologically from person to person, but at the at the very first thing that you have to do, it's like writing your name on your assignment in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, is well, what are they doing in training? Um, and you know, just like wrestling is, a lot of combat sports is fraught with overtraining. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a yep. there's a very there's I, I don't discount the psychological component of like grinding and grinding and grinding. There's a psychological component there for sure that's very beneficial. But if you look at just how uh, the sports science side of it, the data and how people monitor workloads, it's overtraining. Well, the, the <laughs> Russian wrestlers say that we are our USA wrestling consistently overtrained compared well, to them. Yeah, and then but the Russian wrestlers, I mean or well, the Russian athletes in general, you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt because most of them are doping. PD. Um, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's a fact, right? Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. Um, so anything that they kind of say to our, but, you know, in wrestling in general, I kind of look at wrestling and there's a lot of overtraining in it. Um, now, there's that psychological component that people want to build and that people want to foster in their athletes. And you kind of have to manage the two. Um, but it's, uh, there, you know, a lot of, it's just not, it's not combat sports, but a lot of different sports are notorious for overtraining. It's like swimming is notorious for overtraining. Even distance runners are notorious for overtraining. Yep. Um, but it's kind of one of those things where, uh, at least in the U S we have to be a little bit more sophisticated with our approach to, um, because it's a science, right? While it's sport and entertainment, it's still a science. We're bound by the laws of us living here on earth. Um, and so there are resources, there's evidence, there's data that you can look at um, that will much that will progress it. And I just kind of look at it as, well, things will get that much better, right? Things are already, in terms of the sciences, are slowly kind of coming around to combat sports, but it'll get better and better, and athletes will get healthier, 
or maybe have longer careers or maybe have better performances in the ring once um you know camps in general not only just say the fighter but the people who are make helping make decisions in the camps once they're they're surrounding themselves with people who can um give leverage them- that knowledge against yeah. their requirements yeah make decisions more on evidence rather than i did this in the past so everybody does work. this yes exactly on that, on every athlete. Um, the voice you're listening to right there is the director for the Center of Sports and Training Research, Associate Professor of Motor Control and Learning at Long Beach State, my friend Will Wu. And as you guys can plainly see, he is smarter than I by a factor of only about 75. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, anyway. And just stitching back to one more thing about Mayweather and McGregor that was interesting that I got from somebody else who's really smart, Eugene S. Robinson uh, on Knuckle Up, um, which was his uh, post-fight show after the the fight. And he said that um, Eugene, of course, graduate of Stanford, a literary degree, he said that um, he has 13 MMA fights. He's 11-2 in MMA. And he said he went to take a boxing lesson from like a 60-year-old boxing trainer. And when the man got pissed off about the way that Eugene was was throwing his punches, he said, put your mouth guard in. And uh, he put on his gloves and he threw a body shot. And he said, Eugene said, that's the hardest I've ever been hit in the stomach in my life by any fighter was this 60-year-old man who hasn't been active in years that that um you know threw a punch and showed me how to properly throw these punches so when oh, well. floyd you know you could see the snap on his punches um compared to connor in in most cases although he did hit a beautiful you know counter uppercut in the first the first round, yeah and then yeah. he hit a couple more after that that were not as uh that the camera didn't catch it that at the angle where you could see it uh, mm. like that first one was perfect but um so so that, you know, I mean, that's to sum that up. Uh, I, I thought Connor did great, and I thought Floyd did great like he was supposed to do, and uh, and uh, that's about all I have to say. We'll ask Javi that. Uh, he's about seven minutes late. Do you want to be on when he's on, or are you going to uh, take off? What's your, your plan? No, I could, yeah, I could stay on, then okay. maybe I can ask him some questions, like, Let me see if uh, I can based on his on. background and all that. Yeah, definitely. I have uh, I have a few things. I want to get him, um, well, I'll tell you what I have written down in a second. Let me see, I'm texting him right now. We are ready when you are. Okay. Um, We'll see if he's there. Um, So I wrote down a few things. I wanted to ask him how he's feeling, the state of his his health, uh, talk about his GoFundMe. Um, just curious if he's heard from anybody from the UFC management. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was just going to ask him about the combat jiu-jitsu tournament because he's not in it uh, anymore. Um, I, I don't assume he's going to be in it because it's like two months from now. But uh, Gary Tonin's going to be in it, so I'll ask him about oh, that. Sweet. Yeah, I, I'm you know curious what he thinks Gary could do. And another guy named Wagner Hosha, who you may have seen fight our guy, AJ, I think he fought AJ Agazar maybe, but he is a very, very physical um, jiu-jitsu fighter and MMA fighter. Um, and then uh, 
you know, we're going to ask him about uh, the same things we talked about, ask him about the fight a little bit, about Malinaji, um, and then McGregor Diaz 3. So uh, while we're waiting for him, Will, um, everybody is talking about, I think you brought this up yesterday as well, everybody is talking about McGregor Diaz 3 um, as the fight because Connor, you know, hinted at it, he foreshadowed it. It pisses yeah. me off. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going <laughs> to lie about that. It, you know, Nate hasn't fought in a year. Yeah. And he doesn't deserve to jump right in there and get a title fight. Otherwise, we don't need. You know, we might as well just throw the rankings out and just go. You know what? Whoever is going to fight whoever. Yeah. One of the very attractive things about the UFC was that you always, you always got your best fighters fighting each other at really good times in their career, which was very much, I mean, some people will, will, will kind of give a negative to Floyd about that, how he's waiting for guys to be kind of over their, over their peak, the peak part of their career. But in the UFC, it's kind of good and bad when you, it's bad when you talk about their pay or whatnot. But from a fan's perspective, how it used to be was you could, we would always see the number one ranked guy or the number two ranked guy or the number, the champ and the number one ranked guy. And kind of this model of uh, it almost seems like they're just trying to make their money back off the purchase, and they're just trying to schedule right. these big fights. Um, and I will point you to Will. There is an episode of I think it's If I Did It, which is that that post uh, OJ that OJ post trial novel <laughs> that. But um, it's Nate uh, Nate Wilcox, the DC lawyer Alexi Old. And um, and Eugene S. Robinson, and they talked about the financing of the UFC and how it's to be paid back and what's guaranteed and all these sorts of things. And I'm going to tell you, there's a rumor out there, and the first person I heard this from was from my friend Larry Pepe. And, and I'm only bringing this up, I don't mean to interject on your point, but you, you talked about them paying back the loan. And my friend Larry Pepe brought this up. He said, my prediction is... The UFC tanks, and that the Fertitas buy it back at pennies on the dollar. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, Larry, <laughs> Larry wanted to make. I mean, he made a prediction because I predicted that Connor would one hundred percent be back to the UFC, no matter how much money he made. That's going to come true. That was on my initial episodes of this show, um, and I predicted that Ronda is also going to come back. Um, oh. I would be surprised on that one. Okay, I you know I could be wrong, but I told I told everybody I don't care if he makes a hundred million dollars. You you don't know DJ. How do you know? Like uh, that's fu money. I, I don't <laughs> care how much money it is. McGregor doesn't fight for money. Much as you think he does, he doesn't fight for money. He fights because he wants to prove he's the best there ever was, and that's why he fights. He's not fighting just for the paycheck, or he wouldn't come back to the UFC, right? He'd say, I'll go box Malinaji and make $50 million and, and I'll never see an octagon again, right? I Oh, I don't know. Maybe he's coming back to the UFC, and he's coming back as, I don't know, like an actor on a movie. You get points. You get points on the film, so maybe he's got, he's got a special You mean pay-per-view points? Yeah, he's been getting yeah. those, and he's going to get them again. Or maybe. <laughs> Maybe it's a little maybe it's a little sweeter now. Well, there's what my point is he's not coming back for the money. He's not he can't 
possibly make the money that he's going to make in this fight because he'll yeah. they'll never make a pay-per-view big enough that he could like Floyd Mayweather. So yeah. he'll never make this money again. That's not the point. He's not fighting for the money is what I'm saying. I mean, he obviously he wants to be the highest paid athlete, but he's fighting for pride. He's fighting because he wants to be the best. I said, I don't care how much he makes in this fight. He will come back, and he is, and he said it. He is going to come back. And the point is, though, is um, there's well, he, a lot of stuff that they talked about about the financing that I don't really understand, but it is interesting if you like that sort of thing. So Yeah, I was happy to hear that he was going to come back because it makes um, – I. I prefer the UFC much way more over boxing. It's just um, the complexity of the sport, the talent, all that, all that stuff with uh, MMA is, is just far superior to me than, than watching boxing was actually kind of boring for me. Um, but one of the things he said he was going to come back, but then he kind of says at the same time, he's a free agent. And that kind of worries me a little bit because I think it, he'd be a wasted talent in uh, if he were just a box more so than he were to, to fight MMA or within the UFC. For sure, for sure. I mean, he hasn't shown an appreciable wrestling or grappling game that, I mean, I don't know that he has a submission win in the UFC, um, or I don't even know how many takedowns he has, um, yeah. but but I get your meaning. I get your meaning. He's still, he's a mixed martial artist. He throws some, some decent kicks, although I don't think he, I don't think he can take kicks as well as he throws him, but he hasn't faced anybody that good yet. Aldo it, it, never got there. It actually was hilarious. I think it was at the post-fight interview in the ring, and he was talking about uh, how he was getting tired, and he kind of mentioned how maybe he shouldn't have taken Mayweather's back or tried to have taken Mayweather's <laughs> yeah, back. Exactly. It helped gasp him a little bit. But yeah. whenever, whenever we, we'd see that, because it happened, I don't know, at least it kind of happened a handful of times. You just kind of had that brief thought in your mind. Oh, just do the throw. <laughs> just do the throw kind of thing. Oh, there's um, too much to lose, man. Yeah, too much money yeah. to lose. Yeah. And he's not an idiot. And that would have turned it into a circus. That would have ruined it. Oh, for it sure. Would have, the, it would have ruined it if he would have done an illegal technique. So It's it's the thought from the, the devil on your shoulder kind sure. of thing, right? Yeah. yeah, they're like an animal house. The one angel and devil. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... but um, but anyway, if, if you ever happen to listen to that episode, both Nate Wilcox and uh, Eugenius Robinson espouse the exact same story as Larry Pepe that the Fertitas would, would get back in and buy it at pennies on the dollar. And one thing I didn't know, when the, uh, the owners before them, the, the Fertitas, or I think it was Lorenzo, sat on a board that instituted some sort of regulation that devalued the UFC and when the UFC was basically tanked after he was sitting on that board and voted for or against whatever legislation that hurt the UFC he went and bought it for four million dollars and turned it into a 4.2 billion dollar thing that he then sold and and left WME IMG with every possible kind of problem that you could imagine (laughs) that is uh that's a that's tough business right there that's at a different level it is. It is. Business is, is really, really dirty and ugly. So uh, the, the aforementioned that we spoke about was Javier Showtime Vasquez, one of my favorite people in all of combat sports. It turns out that um, 
um, Will uh, knows a somebody who wrestled and was a com- competitor of Javi's in high school, I believe, right? Or junior college? Oh, yeah. Uh, is Javi on the line right now? He's not, no. Uh, oh, okay. But in case he doesn't come, you know, I'll... I'll try to get him on tonight, and you and I can can cover the topics that we want to cover. This happens sometimes when you're when you're uh, getting fighters on. Sometimes they show up, and sometimes they don't. And um, if he doesn't if he doesn't show, it's okay. We'll I can uh, work on him for tomorrow night. So yeah. So I listened to your podcast that you had him on, and I think he was on with uh, with Brent Mattel, right? Yep. And um, I was like, oh, this guy's kind of an interesting character, and. Um, you know, one of my other passions besides jujitsu is golf, and I'm playing golf with one of my buddies. And uh, heaven forbid I say that on on your podcast, right? I know right. because <laughs> you know how much I love golf and respect golf. But but there ahead. are similarities. I'd like to I'd like to backtrack a little bit and tell you about the similarities <laughs> at some point. But there are a lot of similarities in golf and jujitsu. Yeah. Um, but I was playing golf with a with a uh, you know, like a long life close buddy of mine who wrestled in college, and. Uh, I don't know how it came up or something. Maybe it was in relation to him, his cancer and his GoFundMe account. And uh, he said, he said, oh yeah, we were, we were wrestling teammates. Like they were close buddies. And when my buddy Miguel stopped wrestling, um, Javi went and kind of progressed it into the, to the MMA scene. And um, I guess they're really close buddies. We'll have to like get them talking sometime because I don't think they've talked since they, they competed in college. That would be cool if we had him on, like, if we got Javi on and then we had Miguel uh, log on Skype as a surprise guest. Yeah, that would be good. That would be I'm so sure cool, they, man. I'm sure they have some really interesting st- stories to tell about that. He's, about their- he's such a legend, man. I mean, when it, you know, wrestling and then getting into jiu-jitsu and then getting a black belt, but then coming into the Gracie family and getting another black belt in, like, Horian's system and, you know, the way that he fought his, you know, like, I remember him fighting Chad Mendez, where Chad Mendez is just such a dominant wrestler, yeah. and where it only Javi's jiu-jitsu saved him from being, Ch- Chad Mendez used to finish people when he took them down and put them on their back, and mm-hmm. Javi's defensive jiu-jitsu was just, it's something to marvel at. I've always wanted my friend Jussier to train with, uh, with Javier, so um, he's just, a legend and only you know he's done no gi he's competed in the worlds and gi he's basically done everything only this combat jiu-jitsu remains and after he beats the hell out of cancer he can go and uh and enter into that and and to me like he's the number one seed if in combat jiu-jitsu if he were to be in that tournament so yeah that would be a fantastic comeback comeback story yeah and it it will happen he looked great in the video the other day with his mom he looked a lot better so um, oh. Obviously, chemo. You know, I mean, and our our friend Dat, you know, probably knows a lot about it. Yeah. You know, so it, it's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster. But I got faith in Javi. So yeah, and it was just it was amazing to hear how fast they they reached the goal with a GoFundMe account. It kind of tells you a lot about the community. Yeah, and the support that people have for each other that are in need, which is fantastic. It's yeah, kind of like I'm sorry, it's like, you, it's like you roll with someone, right? Or guys in the training academy. You know, there's a different there's a different welcome that you give someone that you roll with to someone that you just know. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. There's a different, you give the shake and the hug and it's, there's, there's, it's a little bit more depth to it. 
Um, it's There's just a lot of, of hugging there. There's a lot of putting your arm around somebody. There's a lot of things yeah. that you don't see in other sports because there's a trust that we have to have in one another because we could hurt one another very badly if not permanently. Absolutely, absolutely, and an appreciation for uh, probably also for the, some of the things at least as lower belts that we go through. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Man, that uh, just beware when you come back and you roll with Amir. Let me tell you. Oh yeah, I know you rolled with him I've at rolled, lunch. Right? I've rolled with Amir a couple times at lunch, and it's always been uh, a really good roll. Technical and technical at the same time. Fast, uh, strong guy. Yeah, super cool dude too. Very giving, which is super important. And well, that's our that's our culture at HQ, which we're lucky to have. Yeah, it's you know it's uh, it speaks to why I didn't move away for a very good sum of money. You know, I'm, I'm really—I don't know how much I, our discussions had an effect on you staying or not, but I remember having those discussions with you in the locker room, and I'm very happy that you didn't go to South like, Carolina. Yeah, that just kind of—I just cringe at just the sound of that. In terms of the culture that that you thrive in. Yeah, uh, it it didn't seem. You know, this is a, a the type of place I've always dreamed about being for. A number of reasons, um, and then when you add into that the actual personal relationships that I've met through jujitsu and even to a lesser extent through yoga over here, um, it's uh, you know it was enough to keep me here, and I feel very healthy and I feel good, and and um, I guess you know I'll take this opportunity to to just mention this, but this week I lost two of my guys and when I mean my guys they weren't guys who worked with for me in the Air Force they were guys that worked that I flew with that were flew as loadmasters in the back of the airplane we lost one to a diabetes related issue and on the same day we lost another one to um, suicide oh man and um, you know these are guys who gave a lot to their country they retired and they're one of them in one case you know he he didn't care for his health as well as he should have and with the other one he was depressed probably obviously if he took his own life would he have done that if he would have had jiu-jitsu and yoga you know i mean obviously I've, i've had my struggles here but i have that and every week i get to go to that and it makes me feel great what if he would have had that would we have lost him i i don't know probably not so yeah i would like to say probably not too because just the guys that we train with and you you get to know them really well and you get to know them on you know you become good friends and you know what's going on with them personally having uh having that place to go to and train and you know all the physical benefits that you get from it and you also get these psychological benefits from it but the camaraderie that you get in a in a good situation that we have um man that's that's a gym. Our, our good buddy Thomas Flower says our jujitsu classes are end of the day celebrations for each day. And uh, I, thought, I always thought that was a really pin or right on, right on description of kind of what we do when we train each evening. Yeah, it's, that's how you feel when you get done. You feel, you feel great. I mean, some days, you know, like last Wednesday, I did pretty well. This Wednesday, not well at all, but still, I feel great that <laughs> you know that I was got to be part of it and and enjoyed it. 
I, I asked Diogo one night, I said, I said, hey, Diogo, when does the smashing stop? And he looks at me and he <laughs> says, he goes, if you're in the right place, it doesn't. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, all right. All right, so we just support each other through it, and that's probably why we give each other hugs when we see each other. Yeah, yeah, everybody, <laughs> you know what I'm going through. And, and you know, you're, you're very competitive there, Will. You're, I mean... Uh, when I look at guys like yourself, I'm looking at Toby right now. I mean, Toby is legitimately has tapped out black belts there, brown belts. Um, he's really making, and as as my teacher in Brazil, Marcelo Canetta would say, he's having he's had an evolution. Uh, yeah. And um, you know, uh, you, yourself, uh, you know, Dat, Steve. Um, all you guys are just killing it. And then, you know, people like Anderson, um, so many guys there. But I, I know people don't want to sit there and hear us uh, go on about Gracie Baja, but I think the lesson that any any of you can learn from that is that if you're not currently training um, and you're physically able to train, and that, I say physically, I'm going to put that in air quotes. I've got a lot of torn ligaments, shoulders, both knees, I'm experiencing a lot of pain, but if you can put that aside long enough to go and train, the benefits are innumerable. So. Oh yeah, you, when you start training, you always say to yourself, "I wish I would have done that earlier." <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. I started at 42, so yeah, it would have been good. Yeah, if it wasn't for my son, then oh man, I wouldn't have started. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of you guys took and saw your kids and said, "Yeah, I can do that. I'm athletic. I can do that stuff." And it was also we need to protect ourselves. For when they get older. Oh yeah, yeah. You you don't want uh, Kingston kicking your ass. So yeah, uh, the one who's in trouble right now is Riz. Uh, you know, oh man, Kingston, yeah. You know, he could be in deep trouble. Carissa could judo throw him or something. Yeah, so. he should just build a guest house in back and then just fortify that bad boy. He'll be all good. Exactly. He's got no chance He's otherwise. Hire security like Floyd. Get a couple four hundred pound guys in there. Um, oh, sure. but anyway. Um. So back to. Um, great. Are you as pissed off as I am? And we're gonna we're gonna do a couple of quick hitters. Are you as pissed off as I am that it looks like McGregor Diaz three should happen, or are you just like okay, whatever? It's I'm I'm gonna just deal with it. No, that that's a little upsetting because I want to see uh, I want to see Khabib and Ferguson get their shots. But now you know that Ferguson has a fight, right? Yes. With Kevin Lee, um, yeah. does that intrigue you? It, um, not as much as uh, a McGregor would or a Ferguson Khabib. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 not. I mean, it's not the same. But he fought so well and he so dominated that one guy from Brazil. The question is, when he takes a big step up, uh, he he beat Francisco Trinaldo, who's a very hard punching guy, and yeah. ended up taking him down. I think he tapped him, um, or then he tapped Chiesa. I remember he tapped Chiesa after Trinaldo. Yes. Yeah, I just saw the highlights and it looked really impressive. And yeah. then I saw uh, they had the infamous interview together right after, like afterwards. Yes, they both yeah. wrestled at the same college in Michigan. Oh, I didn't know that. So yeah, Ferguson was like a fourth year uh, senior when I think uh, when Kevin Lee came in. So there wasn't a lot of a lot of interface there. But but yeah, maybe, they, they know each other. You know, maybe if I see uh, you know those build up shows that they have, I'll get a little bit more excited about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, nothing's going to match Khabib and Tony 
or I'm with you. It's either Khabib and Tony or Khabib and Connor or Tony and Connor. One of those three is what I want to see. But in the absence of that, people are saying, like Brendan Schaub said the other day, a man, how can, you can't give it to Khabib because he's not going to make weight, man. He's going he's gonna, to, you know, they're going to do a tour. They're going to go around the world. They're going to go to Russia and do press conferences. And then he's going to blow weight. And it's like, dude, as, as stupid as I think Khabib was for the way that he did this cut. And there's no reason for him to cut. He needs to just lose mass. Yeah. I mean, if he's having problems, because the, the the rumor out there right now is that Khabib's liver uh, or kidneys stopped functioning when he did the cut for Michael Johnson. And oh. then when he went and fought Tony, um, he told that his body just shut down and he had to go to the hospital. I don't know if any of that's true. But if any of that's true, he needs to just do like what we've been saying about Cyborg for years. You just need to cut mass and come in on weight. You yeah. know, come in, come in to come into Tuesday weigh in and be like five pounds over and I just I just think about the toll of a weight cut like how severe those weight cuts are on the nervous system and then you basically go into the ring and basically getting a concussion on top of those symptoms and it's just like man that's how demanding that sport is right and it just I just look at that and just the fact that it amazes me like a human body can do that sort of thing and then take a small amount of time off, relatively speaking, and do it again and then again. And then not to mention the training. Um, but but I think you're – to me though, Will, I think the point is is if you've decided that – or at least this is my point and feel free to refute it. If you're fighting in a weight class where you're carrying so much mass throughout your camp – that you're doing cut, and now I have friends like Barao, like Claudia, like Formiga, that I've either been there or physically in the room or heard firsthand accounts of stuff that went down when I wasn't in the room. If you're carrying so much mass, that's your problem, man. You need to cut the mass to the part where you're not going to shut your body down during the weight yeah. cut, and that's what Mike Dolce says. He says we don't cut. He yeah. goes, we're on diet, we're eating, we're drinking the night before the weigh-in. Yeah, and here's yeah, I'm sorry. Here's Barao on the day that they do the open workout. So that's like a day before the weigh-in, before the fight, mm-hmm. and and he's in Chicago. They're in a gym, a boxing gym, and everybody in the gym is sweating because it's the summer in Chicago, and there is no air conditioning in this gym, and every journalist is sweating and holding a bottle of water. You know who the one person in the gym that wasn't sweating, they couldn't get through his open workout. <laughs> He's completely dehydrated. You're damn right he was. Oh, gosh. And he can't even hit the mitts for more than like a minute, and he's dead. And then he does this ridiculous thing that I don't want to go into. But yeah. the point, the, you you understand my point. That's yeah. how bad some people are at weight cutting and how irresponsible they are. And Khabib obviously was that guy in these last couple of fights. And here's this is my opinion, and again, you know, give me your thoughts if you disagree. If he goes and does a world tour with McGregor, where they're going to fight the fight, and McGregor's like, I want to fight in Russia. I want to fight you in Russia. And, I mean, Khabib can make that happen from what I understand. With his connections with Kadyrov, 
you know, another scumbag and Putin <laughs> and everything else, uh, he, could, he could get, and other politicians of intimate, he could get that to happen. There's no way he's not going to come in on weight. Just no way. Yeah, and I don't know what kind of, yeah, I don't, I didn't really know too much about him until, you know, a while back, uh, Professor Mike Dykes would speak about Khabib in reference to RDA. Oh and I was like, oh, I got, I, I got to check this guy out. And I was like, holy cow. He's this guy's a monster. He's he's like a whole nother level of grappling. Yeah. I mean, Connor has never faced anybody like that. He's basically like the Ben Askren of the UFC. I mean, he gets a hold of you. You're gonna go down, and then he does something, and I'll show you over at GB what he does. I mean, I don't. I can I can leg lace and do like a a, um, a wrist ride, but I'll, you know, not like he does. I don't have the the wrist and hand strength that he's got. <laughs> But I'll show you what he does, and it's amazing how he does it. And when then he leaves an open hand to punch, and then you have just one hand to block with. Well, so, how how about how about this, DJ? You can show me, and then you can use Toby as a. I'm not going to do the punching part. I just want to show you yeah. how he uses the wall and the cage. That's all. I'm not oh, going to do it. the okay. part where I hit you. But anyway, yeah. it's <laughs> that'd be fun. <laughs> Toby, <laughs> um, but <laughs> you know, speaking of RDA, that's mm-hmm. the one thing that you know we'll see him. We'll see him come train. He's like the mm-hmm. nicest, humblest mm-hmm. dude ever. And I always think, man, what a bummer! Kind of what happened going into that McGregor fight with his injury, yeah. because the dude is such a good guy. Like the guys around him, and you know what, what we all think about. Mm-hmm. Professor Philippe, like oh, yeah. just good dudes, and you want good things to happen to them. And now that I see where we are now and his injury and how how much different things could have been um, if he hadn't gotten injured, and then I start thinking about overtraining stuff, right? Too, and I was like, oh, is that overtraining stuff? It might not have been, but um, then I was thinking, oh, man, that's such a bummer. Like, what happened? Because it would be completely, it'd be a completely different situation. Actually. Well, and he's RDA I mean, would, would have won that fight. Yeah, I mean the thing is, is just getting close to McGregor. Um, you know, RDA's wrestling game was really, really good, but a hundred percent of his success would have been dependent on getting a takedown on Connor. Because in the absence of being able to get a takedown, as you saw with Eddie Alvarez, just getting close to him. When people touch him, uh, get touched on the chin by him with four ounce yeah. gloves, they 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 go down. Yeah, and I guess my my take on it was more out of comparing what RDA did to Diaz and how he dominated Diaz, and I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's and, a different. You know, it's a different. Yeah. it's a different thing, and and that met the mathematics that you're so great at that is part <laughs> of your success just don't work. In MMA, it's a different ballgame, but that is an, that is a great comparison. But because Diaz is a good boxer, but he fights totally different than Connor does, and when they meet, it's a whole different matchup. But RDA, he may have been able to smash Connor with leg kicks, but just just think about this. I do like to say, what if he fought Barbosa? Because I don't think there's anybody in the lightweight division that can stand up to Barbosa's leg kicks other than maybe a total maniac from Costa Mesa named Tony Ferguson uh, <laughs> who, who beat him. But um, think about this. 
think about firing a leg kick when you open your you know when you open yourself up and you're right you're throwing a right hand leg kick your left hand comes up your right hand goes down you turn your your hip over you fire that leg kick against the most devastating left hand in all of MMA just think about that and you're <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. it's like you're not protecting your face he just has to <laughs> land one <laughs> and you're going down just one counter and we've seen it before i mean it's it's just it, it would be tough but you know hafael's a great leg kicker he's a good wrestler he's not like a like a phenomenal wrestler but the the place he's sitting now is actually a really good place the guy colby covington is almost like a He's calling out Rafael. He's from Flor. He's like Florida's answer to Tony Ferguson. He's a wild man. He's tearing yeah. guys apart. And Rafael was able to say no to him and say yes to Neil Magny. Neil Magny has really almost no way to beat Rafael. He's not going to outgrapple him. He's not going to outwrestle him. And he's probably not going to outstrike him. So this is a great fight for Rafael that basically puts him maybe a fight or two from the title. It depends on what happens with with uh, Masvidal and Wonderboy because the winner of that is probably if if Masvidal went, wins he gets Woodley. Oh. If Colby Covington, who's taking on Damian Maya, beats uh, Damian Maya in Brazil, then maybe Rafael fights Damian fights uh, Cor- uh, Colby Covington or Damian Maya. So he's he's literally probably two we- two wins right today from a title fight that that's good to know he's on the road to uh yes to some big some much bigger things yes as he deserves as his whole team deserves and he's too big for you know he's too big for lightweight that cut was terrible for him ferguson is just a, a, a tough matchup unless and if you can take him down he scrambles so well so that's what made him and khabib so interesting was the way that He's able to lock up the darts and the guillotine and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, those are tough, tough matchups. You know, obviously he lost to. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I just just getting a message from Will. Got it. I, we got it. I'm going to be forced. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Yes. You know, and being <laughs> that you're one of my favorite people, there's no way I can say no. Um, so. Very interesting stuff for for the, all those of you who are as fascinated with Rafael dos Anjos as we are. But we did kind of set the table for you a little bit as to what the lightweight picture is and the welterweight picture. And he is in a very good spot right now where he doesn't have to cut weight and meet people like Justin Gaethje and guys like that that are that are considerably smaller than he is. He's he's at the right weight class, and I I'm very sure that he's. That I love this matchup for him against Neil Magny, and it puts him one shot away from uh, one more win away, and he's got a title shot. So, um, let's see, Jonathan Dwight Jones. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just leaving you right there, Will. <laughs> oh man, it's uh, in the whole scheme of things. Oh gosh. How can I how can I wrangle this in? Because I think of him and I think of all the doping that occurs in all the other sports and just him with that in regards to what he does and the UFC and all that. It's a complete 
it's unfortunate because, damn, that guy is good. Yeah, and just, just to rewind history, you know, it's so terrible for Daniel Cormier. If you guys want to listen to Jordan Breen's episode of the Jordan Breen Show right after this was announced, uh, it is phenomenal. He will replay Dan- the heartache of Daniel Cormier in his life from his daughter dying to his dad being killed by his stepfather to all kinds of tragedies that have happened in his life that bring him up to today bring him up to today but the p- finer point about John Jones is a cocaine positive test after the last fight in which Daniel lost then the dick pill controversy leading up to what was going to be the rematch where I mean I don't know another way to say it but he John claims that it uh, an obscure teammate gave him a not over-the-counter, how should I say this, not prescribed version of Cialis or uh, Tadalafil, whatever this stuff is, and it was some sort of a, quote, dick pill, unquote, (laughs) (laughs) and and, um, that is what um, had clomiphene in it and, I guess, letrozole or something like that, and then then this failure here, so. The the excuses could be plenty. But um, I've done quite a bit of work, uh, sports science work in track and field at the highest levels in track and field. Mm-hmm. And um, track and field probably has the best uh, methods for stopping dopers. And having said that, right, people are still doping. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of look at his situation as uh, they just messed up, like whatever people think about doping, right? Mm-hmm. whether it's good or bad or whatever, even the playing field, it's not about that. It's just a matter of if he was doping, whoever was helping him or him doing it um, was ill-informed. Because several, <laughs> people, several people are getting away with it um, around the whole USADA things. I mean, the whole thing about uh, whether the sport is cleaner because they have USADA testing. Yes, it's going to be cleaner, but is it clean? Um, if you know what you're doing, you're, it's not. Right. If you know the right people, it's not. Um, but I just kind of look at his situation and go, and I say, was he, was it that messed up? The way he, the, his intentional doping protocols, was it that poor? Or was it truly just them being horsing around and doing whatever and, you know, messing, messing it up, right? Just like it being a joke and it being a bad joke because it affected this. Like either way, I just don't see how, I can't see how it's like, okay, that, you know, I can see how that would happen. Like either way, I just see it as they just messed up their doping protocols super bad or um, someone played, one of his buddies played a really bad joke on him that cost him a ton of money. I mean, it says here, um, so our uh, commissioner of the uh, California State Athletic Commission, Andy Foster, who was himself a former fighter, says the entire, quote, the entire situation doesn't make sense to me. It just doesn't. Um, He says, 
quote, if you're going to, if you're doing a steroid panel, then this drug is going to show up every time. The fact that it didn't show up on July 6th and 7th when he was tested before, that's an indication that he was not on the drug at that time. So hmm. that leads people to hypothesize that he took it after the weigh-in. Or he did test positive, and because USADA is on the UFC payroll, they were able to not lose out on the pay-per-view dollars because, and I oh, hate yeah. to be—I hate to be conspiratorial in 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 uh, my thought process here—but you have to ask these questions when, during the last one, um, Brock um, John uh, tested positive. He's out of the fight. Then they put Brock and um, so I don't know if you remember this. They put Brock and uh, Mark Hunt as the main event. Yeah. And then 24 hours later, they changed it to Misha Tate and Amanda Nunes. And then uh -huh. Brock tests positive. Uh, his results come back after the fight. So his yeah. pre-test results come back after the fight's already been contested. So that would lead someone to believe, ah, I don't know. Wait, maybe did those uh -huh. results come back early? Or did, did John test positive on July 6th and 7th, but they didn't dime him out until this one? We don't know. Oh yeah, I mean, there's all—it's a business, so maybe they're making business decisions associated with that. But if it's intentional doping, like mm -hmm. we're doping because we're trying to get a performance effect in the ring, mm -hmm. um, there's a super sloppy job. Yeah, it 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 is. Um, and you because just kind of have—you just kind of have to say to yourself, could it have been that egregious of a of a doping plan? <laughs> and it make, it, it, no, I know. I want to find an article. I think it was on Deadspin. It was a guy. I don't know who he's worked with relative to combat sports, but it was a Mexican man who worked in a pharmacy and got very good at making, mixing cocktails of doping. So basically, he says, I have worked with track athletes. I've worked with cyclists. I've yeah. been paid ten thousand dollars to do you know get somebody ready for a race etc etc and the way i do the cocktails you're not going to catch me you're not going to yeah. catch my guys yeah i mean it's really tough to catch the actual substance because you have to have you have to know what the substance is mm -hmm. so if someone has something designer then they don't have to test that detect that um they can go on different uh physiological um measures that are within the norm or outside the norm but um like if you have someone who's invested in designing these things, they're not going to catch them. I mean, that's what he said. He said yeah. I've had people in all kinds of different. Uh, actually, somebody else did one the other day where they said they talked to a group of men participating in a sport where something like nine percent tested positive, and then something like sixty or seventy percent said that they've doped. And they don't tell you the sport, and they don't tell you the athletes or anything. So yeah. it's, you know, they're obviously people know how to get it out of your system. And this guy says, I'm going to know your body weight. I'm going to tell you when to take this. I'm going to tell you when to take that. Yeah. And if you follow my instructions to the letter, you'll pass You'll pass your tests. And well, so, you, can, you can look at the absurdity of it if you just look at Usain Bolt, just this freak of nature in the world. He ran his last race, 100-meter race, and he loses to uh, American Justin Gatlin. Um, a couple of years oh, oh, ago, wow, Justin Gatlin is... Tested positive so, twice. Yes, yeah, somewhat fresh off a of suspension for, <laughs> for 
PEDs. Mm -hmm. So here's the logic, right? He never could beat Usain Bolt or rarely beat Usain Bolt when he was on drugs or when he was doping. Then he gets suspended and supposedly he's he's not doping anymore and he beats Usain Bolt. So now you kind of say, oh, well, that's all he needed to do. He just needed to stop doping to be able to beat Usain Bolt. It's ludicrous. It's it's ludicrous to think he, of it. But he would have to have a lot of balls to do it again. He would have to be a hundred percent confident in whoever his Victor Conti is or his you know his drug mixer. Oh yeah, I mean, if we were to go to Vegas and gamble on whether he was doping or not, I would definitely put money on he was doping. <laughs> you're gonna, you're really ready good. to yeah. put everything yeah. up. Down on the roulette table on that one. <laughs> it's all it's all it's all ready to go. So I mean, it's good. It's good from a public perception standpoint, and I think it's good at least that they're trying. But we can't be naive about it and say that oh, there's you started testing. There's no doping. Uh, that's not accurate at all. Um, but the John Jones things, it just kind of makes me. I I just think about it, and I can just shake my head. Um, and then the disappointment of we know the people that surround him. And so the disappointment that, you know, that surrounds, it's disappointing for them too, right? Because they've made the, the, this investment in him. Um, so, you know, a lot of people have been kind of disappointed by it. Yeah, I mean, you don't, definitely the audience doesn't want to hear me do another rant on the on the Jackson camp and how, uh, how dishonest I think they are and how full of absolute crap that I think they are. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, but they they are they've proven themselves to be in a number of ways and and they haven't done John any favors. Um, yeah, but I was referring more to Tucson. and I know that his wife, who's my oh, colleague, okay, yeah, um, helped him with his nutritional plan. Um, so it's kind of like or helped him to drop some weight. Um, so I was like, oh man, and you know, I'm kind of disappointed for them because they invest a lot, you know, personally and with their skill. And it's kind of disappointing for them, I'd, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's unfortunate. But as Eugene S. Robinson says, my spies in Albuquerque tell me that um, that jo- Jones is still hanging out with the guys up at the Mini Mart. So right. I don't know if that is, you know, like if he's being literal in meaning guys in the Mini Mart, but that type of guy and the fact that not long before the fight, he was seen at like a King of the Cage, uh, which is a local, you know, MMA show in the beer line. So, oh boy, I mean, if you, I don't know if you buy that, but you know, or if Eugene spies are correct on all that, but they say that he was seen at a King of the Cage and getting a beer. And so, it, it, you know, if you would even be, you know, two months before a fight doing anything like that, you'd be out of your mind. So, um, I don't have a lot of faith in Jones. Uh, he is the most amazing fighter I've ever seen, and oh, I'm man. sure that's the intrigue that brings in a guy like Tusa to say, what could I do with him? But let me just say this to you. What would you say about a guy like that And when Chael Sonnen has those grappling tournaments and they say, who do you want to fight? And he says, Dan Henderson. What does that strike in you? I'd say... Um maybe pick on someone that's a little bit closer in age and where you are in your career. He's 47 (laughs) years old. Yeah. I mean, it's just the biggest bunch of horseshit 
one could imagine. Then when they ask him would he want to grapple Cormier in submission <laughs> grappling now, not fighting, uh, he uh, said no. So yeah, that's they'd be curious. I can I can see why one's a little easier than the other. So <laughs> yeah, but that's as as a championship caliber. Yeah, hell yeah, let me do it. I mean, that's not the kind of thing that you say no to when you're John Jones. But he says, I don't want him to have a false sense of security. And one thing Coach Luttrell told me about John Jones when I told him that, that John was going to fight Dan Henderson, he said, I'll tell you something about John. He'll never go into a fight that he doesn't think isn't 100% sure that he's going to win. And that's the kind of guy who runs away from the scene of an accident when when that he's caused when there are people injured and then runs back and grabs his money and his drugs and then runs away again that is a coward and for that reason i got i've said the same even on tusa when he said something nice on facebook about john jones i said straight to tusa i said fan of you sir big time not a fan of john jones at all loser something like that whatever i said and that's that's how i really feel yeah, um, and, and it's I, tough because those guys are like such good influences and such like good dudes, and you're just like, how does that not rub off on him? And really, that kind of changes the way he does things. Because he's him, you know. That's yeah. So uh, let me hit you with one more question before we get to golf, because uh, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> it's towards the end. No one will be listening anyway. No, no, I want I want to hit you with this one because you know I made a big deal about my uh, on my show about this. But it was Amanda Nunes. Now I can't even find the headline. Amanda Nunes snaps back at uh, people who say that um, maybe it's on MMA Fighting, and I'm on the wrong page. Um, at people who say that she's scared of Shevchenko. So um, what? Let me see what the headline is here. Amanda Nunes fires back at critics saying she's scared of Shevchenko. I, for one, as a critic, and I ended up, you know, that I, I morphed and I sort of moved further and further in the direction of, I don't believe her story about the sinuses and I don't believe any of that and I'll tell you why, but yeah. um, I don't think she's scared of Shevchenko, but what say you about the story and then I'll I'll say my piece. Yeah, so I remember listening to your podcast about it and um, you were you were kind of explaining about how it might not be a, a sinus infection but well that was it right a sinus infection mm-hmm. that she said um, but it was but it was a bad weight cut mm-hmm. um from her perspective if you're her i know there's the whole warrior mentality of saying okay i'm not 100 percent, but i'm gonna do it anyways right mm-hmm. there's that warrior mentality but the other part of me says that this is a business decision. So if you have a way out and you, and you know that you're not going to, or you, you know that you, you may not win because whatever you did with your weight cut, um, doesn't allow you to perform your best mm-hmm. and that's an out. Um, that's a business decision right there. Now, whether that matches with the warrior, like warrior, like mentality that most people like to see in the fighters. No, it doesn't. But just from a strict business standpoint, yeah, it does. Because what is she without the belt? Not much. And how does it affect her pay without the belt? So, um, enormously. Yeah, and I think we kind of talked a little bit about this on the mat is 
their livelihood is tied into that belt. So you need to do whatever you can to, to keep it. And if it's just, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I can fight because of this weight cut, then that might be the smart decision to do for her, for her livelihood. Now, whether it matches up to right, the honor of being a fighter, warrior-like mentality, absolutely not. But I think that's kind of the other, the other side of the equation. It's, if she doesn't have, what's the difference in her pay when she's the champion and when she's not the champion? Well, um, I don't know the exact amount, but let's say if she's up into the, um, actually, was it 300K? I, 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 have the, I think I might have put the numbers out on the show. But yeah, it could be like going from 300K down to 75K or whatever it was. But I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, so I don't want to put out something that I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, you know, I just kind of look at it from that perspective. I'm not saying that it's that it's kind of right or wrong. I do think that, I mean, it's almost like a, a consistent problem that the UFC is having, where you're basically just having these fighters saying, "I'm not good tonight. I'm out," kind of thing. Right? <laughs> so Imagine. you destroyed my whole argument very deftly, by the way. Well, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, I that's just, what I wanted you to do. I mean, you just, point- you just imagine the Dodgers, right? The Dodgers are in their last game. I don't know who they play. The Arizona Diamondbacks, and they're like, ah, uh, we don't really feel too good today, so we're just going to cancel the game. <laughs> yeah, set it up another time, right? Yeah, like I mean, a- and it, and it, but it's not though because it would have been the World Series. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It would yeah, have been like, true. we're not going to play the World Series and give you guys a shot because somebody yeah. doesn't feel good. Yeah, absolutely. Clay, what's his name, uh, the pitcher? Uh, Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw, yeah. yeah. So, so I, you know, I mean, my thing was, was that, and I, I really like, I really like honesty. And if, well, first of all, you know, be honest and say, you know what, I, I don't, I don't feel good. I feel sick. I don't feel like I can go. And then don't make up a lame BS excuse. Because her going to the doctor, tell me this makes sense. Her going to the doctor, as Dana said, when, when she went to the doctor and saying, coming back, and then she tells Dana, they don't know what's wrong with me. That was the story, right? Mm -hmm. She Mm -hmm. said, I don't feel good to fight. So, how can somebody with sinusitis go to the doctor and say, I don't know what's wrong with me? You know <laughs> what's wrong with you. It hurts in your sinuses. That's yeah. what sinusitis is. What yeah. Doesn't that mean your face hurts? Yeah. And I'd imagine you've had some breathing problems. To yeah. Go with. So how and are so, you going there? And, yeah. and, you're, and then you're going to present a, a story to the UFC to say, we don't. And so Dana, now, if it would have said sinusitis, Dana would have come on and said, uh, a man has been stricken with sinusitis, so she can't fight. And with that interview with Megan Olivia, so then we all know, right? Yeah. So that's what is so irritating. Then you're going to go, and now 24 hours after the night of the fights, so it's like the day after, it's like Sunday or Monday, I think it was, she comes out and says, we went to the doctor again, and we did a CT scan, and she was diagnosed with sinusitis. Well... <laughs> There's two problems with that. She was already on camera a year ago saying that this was a, a chronic issue that she had with sinusitis. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that if you go to the doctor 
and you say, my sinuses hurt, my I have pain in my face, <laughs> then they go, oh, shoot, let's see your medical record. Oh, you have a history of sinusitis. Oh, yeah. So why are you trying to uh, raise a bullshit story? That's what, that's what annoys me. Just say that I don't feel I had a bad cut, whatever, I can't fight. I don't feel well enough to fight. Don't make up a story. And then she goes and put, does some pose at a doctor's office saying, oh, I had surgery and fixed it. Really? Yeah. Zero but detail. If she does say that, DJ, how does that sit with people? I don't feel well enough to fight. It's honest. <laughs> it is it's, honest. It's just how does it's that honest because what did Joanna say? Did you you know I read I I put her quotes. I don't know if I can find my. I'm looking for my story that I wrote on um, on Bloody Elbow right now, and I'm I don't know where it is because it was a while ago now. But but what does Joanna say? She says uh, with all the sparring and fighting and weight cuts and mental pressure, sometimes it gets to us all. That is somebody, and if you've been around these fighter hotels during fight week, and I have, they all have access to one another's rooms. So if yeah. you're in Novin Yao or if you're an American top team or whatever, everybody has access to everybody's room. So she obviously would have knocked on the door and said, what happened? And she didn't yeah, no. say right. she's got a sinus problem. She said this and that. And uh, and it, and the pressure and the the physical and mental pressure get to us all. What does that tell you? That says what Valentina says. Valentina said, "I think she had a bad weight cut and she didn't feel good, and that's why." And she came. She tried to come in too heavy, and she had a bad weight cut, and that's why she didn't fight. And that's the problem that I that I have with it. Is yeah, that, and the other the the other fighter is gonna know because they've been in that spot. They know what it looks like. She's standing they know in what front it of feels her. like. Yeah, exactly. She knows. Like like Khabib, Tony said to Khabib, hey, have fun with that weight cut, you piece of blank. Remember that? <laughs> oh, he's he, at, he was eating tiramisu or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, team tiramisu is his yeah, hashtag. Yeah. So, so obviously, um, you know, Valentina had a suspicion. Joanna had access to her room. Dana is saying that I don't know what's wrong with her when clearly if – Amanda knows, and it's in her medical records and everything, that she has a sinus problem when you go to the doctor and he says, what's wrong with you? There's no language barrier there. She has yeah. Brazilian-American coaches. She has an American, uh, an English-speaking uh, girlfriend. You go there and say, she has a problem with her sinuses. Can you check it out? Do you need mm -hmm. a CT scan and to know when your freaking sinuses hurt? Yeah. I, I've had it from being in the Air Force when I had a cold and I went flying and we had to do... Uh, combat maneuvers in the airplane when there's no pressurization. So the altitude in the airplane is going up and down, and it hurt. <laughs> it hurts bad. So I know the pain that she's talking about, but th when that happens, ain't no question what it is, Will. My sinuses hurt. That's what's wrong with me, not I don't know. And that's yeah, why Dana said that. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one, too. I can... That's just kind of like a, maybe a bad PR event for her. Yeah, should Dana have thrown her under the bus? Absolutely not. Hey, you know what, guys? Uh, you know, Amanda's been uh, very tough for us. She's gone and she's she's taken on everybody. But you know what? Tonight, she just she can't do it tonight. She feels like she, she cannot fight. She fell sick after the weigh-in. 
and we're not sure we're going to get her checked out. We'll have details coming up this week on exactly what's wrong with her. At this point, we're not sure, but she's definitely not up to fighting. And can you describe the nature? No, I can't right now. We don't have those details. Yeah. Uh, I can just tell you that, that um, she's been very reliable for us, and right now um, the doctors are not sure what's wrong with her, but she's not up to fighting right now. And that's that. But he's not that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that's going to throw you under the bus, and that's exactly what he did. Beep, beep, beep. Here's the reverse yeah. one. Yeah, and it gives the perception that uh, the UFC is in a little bit of disarray. Yeah, well, it is because the fighters are now openly telling the boss, F you, yeah. and mm. I'm going to do what I want. And people were absolutely terrified of Dana before that, and they wouldn't they wouldn't do such things. And now everybody from Ally Quinta to different girl fighters to uh, saying that I'll, I'll expose stuff that I know about you because oh, clearly yeah. Dana's had a run with several Vegas girls and the fact that he's married and has children and... And there's a lot of people that know that, and there's rumors about him and Ronda Rousey. There's a lot of there's a oh, lot of wow. dirt. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that is that's I, interesting. <laughs> I know about a lot of dirt under a lot of rugs. You know, that's why I said I'm going to stay away from the whole Jacksons thing because I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> but when I see you in the academy, I'll you know, there's a lot of dirt under that rug too. So you can you could save that for a yep. ultimate ultimate yes. super podcast or something yeah. like that no that'll be that'll be me telling you in the gym i'm not there's some of that stuff i just you know i, I it's, you know it's not like i want to you know it's not like i want to burn that camp to the ground but i will share something with you that that happened that i don't think i've shared with you as yet um that happened a few weeks ago imagine that you're coaching claudia gadelia right mm -hmm. and you are a former member of Jackson's. You were their first black belt. You are their first fighter. You coached there for something like 18 or 19 years. And you've set out on your own, make, make your own gym, but you still have love and affection for Jackson's and their guys in the system. And you get your first legitimate bona fide UFC fighter in your little camp that basically has a lot of local a lot of local talent, but nobody on that level, right? Mm -hmm. And I think Andres Quintana's fighting Combat America because he's probably their other biggest fighter other than Claudia um, and good friend of mine as well. But there you are, and Mike Winklejohn calls one day and says, you know what, Chris, and this is after you had an agreement that guys could come and come to your gym and they could take classes and you could, Claudia and others would go over there. And yeah, okay, sounds good. And Winklejohn calls and says, you, you are not allowed to come in our gym anymore. Right. We had a team meeting. Michelle's a little upset. She doesn't want you diagnosing her game because her and Claudia could eventually fight Michelle Watterson. And so I'm, I'm really sorry, but we can't have you come in the academy anymore. Claudia can come, but, oh. but you can't. She can come and spar and all that, but you can't come. Wow. And imagine how you would feel. And it just makes me sick because... With all the fighters and all the money, you know, when you think about Overeem with an $800,000 salary on each fight that they get 10% of, and, you know, all the great fight, Diego Sanchez and John Jones and John Dotson, and you can just, you know, Holly Holm and Michelle Watterson, and you can go on down the line with how many fighters that they have that are revenue producing fighters. And this one fighter the guy has. And they won't let him come in the gym and um, and coach Claudia. 
and it just is very hurtful. So um, those guys, to me, the friendship, you know, I don't have a family like a lot of people have families. I don't have that family closeness. Moms and dad, you know, my mom is long gone. My dad is not very close. My brother's not very close. So this right here, friends mean everything. And the way that they crapped on uh, Coach Chris Luttrell, who mm-hmm. helped them build the system, who, you know, Greg's never had a fight in the cage, and nor has Mike. Um, Mike was a kickboxer, um, had a, a, a significant kickboxing career before they put together the Jackson system. Chris actually is older than Greg. He's an older man. He's pro- I'm 50, I'm going on 51, and Chris is probably like 53 or 54. He mm-hmm. went out and fought for Jacksons and tested their system in the cage um, hmm. before he became uh, a law enforcement officer and all that, which he's about to retire from 20 years ago. But he, you know, he has gone out and, and put himself on the line, and Greg's never gone and tested their, their system in the cage. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, it's something that to me is, is pretty despicable and I have really not a lot of, res- I, I respect the fighters that are there, you know, and I like a lot of the fighters that are there, yeah. but I don't respect the way they do business and particularly the way that they value friendship, which is to say not at all. Well, that's gotta be heartbreaking on the trail spark. It is. It's, it is yeah. something that when he called me you know, and the pain in his voice. I mean, this is a tough man. This is a, this is a law enforcement officer and I'll have to, you know, if I get your email, I'll send you an email of someone that, that sent something into the Albuquerque, uh, police department to thank coach Luttrell for talking someone out of a gun that was going to kill themselves. And then they pointed the gun at coach Luttrell. And this is within the last month. And he talked, then they he pointed and he never unholstered his weapon and pointed at the guy. He talked him out of the weapon and saved uh, her son's life. Oh wow! Um, he is a is a fantastic human being, and you know, in an age now when police are pulling guns and and beating the hell out of people, and you know, people are getting shot for just moving. And here's Coach Latrell, where a young man pointed a gun at him. And yeah. he's like, no, you know what, you know, we can fix this and I can get you help and, you know, let's just calm down and come on over here and we'll we'll get everything squared away. So um, that's the kind of guy that Coach Luttrell is. the Not the, the phony superhero that John Jones was portraying in New Jersey when he supposedly tackled a uh, purse snatcher, um, <laughs> but a real, actual law enforcement officer. So anyway. <laughs> it was let's, Dan Henderson. Let's go. Dan, yeah, Dan Henderson, 47 years old. Let's grapple. That's great. Yeah, it's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to challenge someone at Gracie Baja. I want to have a real match in Uh-oh. front of everybody at the gym. It's going to be me and Steve, and I'm going full force, baby. What a pussy you are, DJ. That's, that's what it is, right? Yeah. I that's the equivalent. I- I didn't kind of realize that was going on. Like that stuff would come up on my feet every now and then, and you kind of look at it and watch a little bit and go, oh, okay. But it never really uh, occurred to me that was kind of his M.O. That's his M.O. Don't oh. fight anybody that you don't think. You know, they offered him Vinny Megalyais, you know, the guy that uh, uh, is always beefing with Hanato Laranji. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I got some backstory. Yeah, Brent was. I was talking to Brent about that. Man, that guy's a, such a wealth of informa- a jujitsu information oh and God. culture and all that. He's a god. But uh, yeah. yeah, he was. Uh, he's telling me some interesting stories about that whole back in the day with when Tenth Planet was just coming up and Eddie Bravo was uh, becoming Eddie Bravo. Mm-hmm. Oh so, yeah, so he told some stories about that too. About how they would uh, make people get people to want to fight them in the gym and and then yeah. it was just joking around yeah he told me about that stuff well, yeah Brent said he'd get a text that says hey you got to come in this guy's been talking crap and you gotta right kind of like the gracie challenge type stuff that was going on man we need to like we really need to get together we're talking about professor brent Littell. he of the the only person in the world that has a black belt from Eddie Bravo and 10th Planet System and from Felipe de la Monica in the Gracie Baja System. But we need to have, like, get, have beers with Brent one night. Like, cause I, I really just want to sit and listen to jujitsu stories for a couple yeah. of hours. I want to be on with Brent and I just want, so I can ask him questions and make him answer them. <laughs> you know what? Them. We could do that too. I mean, you, I know, would, you know, we could do it at the bar or we could do it on air, whatever you want. I, so. I would love to do that because, uh, you know, he's uh, he's a very honorable guy. So some things he won't want to talk about, but um, I'll definitely try to ask him. But you know what? Like a, Maybe we could do it on air and with beer. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it wouldn't take very much. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Will, let's get to golf and then we're going to close this out. So tell me, uh, what was your... Okay. Uh, uh, and by the way, the folks, you are listening to my friend Will Wu. He's a professor at uh, Long Beach State University. And this title, the Director for Research of Sport Training. Oh, wait, the Director Holy of the moly, S- Director for the Center of Sport Training and Research. I, I'm going to pri- I'm going to do this in the mirror. I promise you. <laughs> Associate <laughs> Professor of Motor Control and Learning. So I got it. Director for the Center of Sport Training and Research. Uh, Will Wu at Long Beach State University and uh, one of my uh, heroes at Gracie Baja. So go ahead, Will. Let's talk about golf. Wow me with something other than Malcolm Gladwell's <laughs> recent piece about golf. Oh, I'll never read anything of that. Either. <laughs> <laughs> all right, because you played on all the courses he was talking about. But oh, man, his whole ten thousand hour rule actually have to have an assignment for my students to teach him that what he writes in his books about the ten thousand hour rule is horse doo doo or just complete bastardization of what Andres Eriksson <laughs> really did. But um, well, one of the things I like to do is like to play golf, and I think. It's very similar to jiu-jitsu. Now, you might think of golf and say, oh, no, it's not similar to jiu-jitsu at all. But I think it very much is so. Like, if you look at it just from a, a straight demands of what's required of, of the activity, right? So in jiu-jitsu, what's the famous thing is, is technique prevails, mm-hmm. right? You can beat a – I mean, originally it's so you can beat a bigger opponent. You have good technique. And we've seen that displayed, mm-hmm. right? We see um, – so technique is really important, and when it when I think of technique, it's it's skill. It's not necessarily how fast you are, how big you are, how strong you are, and blah blah blah. I think Brent has talked a lot about, or on a previous po- podcast about Professor Marzio about how he's not like physically like strength strong, but his jujitsu is so good, and he's kind of like the hallmark of jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Its technique prevails. Uh, well, golf is very similar in that way, right? So if you look at golf in terms of who have been the past champions in the past two to three years, there's a tall guy, there's a short guy, there's a guy that's skinny, there's a guy that's maybe a more muscle-bound, and there's a guy, right, all shapes and sizes. 
And so pretty pretty much what that indicates is that it's very skill-based or very technically driven. Um, you don't have to be strong to do to do well at golf, and you don't have to be strong necessarily to do uh, jiu-jitsu. Um, so that's one of the things that is very similar to jiu-jitsu or golf and jiu-jitsu. And the other thing has to do with uh, like belt rankings, right, or belt promotions. Um, and I always find this fascinating because there's a, like a this subculture to belt promotions and and rankings, etc. And in golf, there's the same thing. It's called the handicap. The handicap, yeah. Yeah. So this is the parallel, right? So in golf and in jiu-jitsu, you kind of have – not everybody is like this, but you have these two groups of individuals. There's one group of individual that like in golf, we call it a Hollywood handicap. And it's a handicap that's that expresses that you're better than you really are. Like right? Judge Schmales. From Caddyshack, right? <laughs> yeah, that you're better than you really are. And so people will chase a low handicap score. And I think in jiu-jitsu, it's a, it's a similar way where people aren't so concerned about just getting better and going to class and you know doing those sorts of things. But they're very, very, very conscious of when they're getting their next promotion or if they're getting their next promotion or uh, when they're getting their next belt or that sort of thing. Right? Except me, because I have no idea on any of those accounts. But, go ahead. but no, so it, it is you, prevailing. Yeah. Then you have the then you have the opposites for each case. So in golf, you have people who probably a little bit more strategic for what they do with their handicap. They say, okay, maybe it's not to my advantage to to have a Hollywood handicap. So they'll go the other way. They'll actually sandbag their handicap. <laughs> right? And then you go out and have a round with them and go, man, that guy just yeah. took 50 bucks I, off me. Yeah, I just lost all my money. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing in jiu-jitsu, right? So you, then you have a segment of the jiu-jitsu community who they just want to win tournaments and medals and stuff like that. So promotions are just delayed forever. Yep. And so to me, like those are the things for golf and jiu-jitsu that stand out stand out like one is they're both very skill-based activities where technique is super important and then you kind of have this interesting kind of culture within each community where you have some people who are trying to be better than they really are mm-hmm. and then some people who are actually the opposite they're trying to hide how good they are um, and i just kind of find that amusing where you can take basically something that's combat and then you take something that's the stark opposite of combat, which is like hitting a little golf ball around and while taking a walk in the park, which I love to do. Um, and <laughs> Despite talking, Malcolm Gladwell's oh my assert- gosh, yeah. <laughs> Please don't. A bastardization, right, of the work of Andres Erickson is what it is. I kid you not, DJ. I no, have that's my- not what it's about. It's about the Bob Hope rule in Los Angeles relative to property taxes. That's what is this podcast is about, where he talks about oh, that. I, the I was Bob, referring to his, uh, I think it was his Outsiders book or something like that. Okay, I, I can't say that I've yeah. read it. So, But oh, I can yeah. read, though, just for anyone in the audience that's wondering. Um, <laughs> DJ, you don't need to read that, don't. Because <laughs> then I'll have to undo it. Well, there's one big difference between golfers and jiu-jitsu people, and you know what that is. It's ears and board shorts. No, it's we're cool and they're not, but... <laughs> Whatever it's going to take to get you tenured, I'm all for it. And if well, playing golf is part of that, I want to see you get tenured. It's and amusing I, 
to me sometimes because I'll, uh, you know, I'll say to like some of the guys or I don't know if I said this professor or not. I was like, oh, I, I got to rest a little bit today, tonight because I'm going to play golf. So He's far. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, in all honesty, Will, I'm, I'm no, all kidding aside. I am for any sport that anybody wants to play. Like I, I support it and I'm like totally for it. Um, I, whether I like that sport or not is totally irrelevant to me. I just, if it makes you happy, I think that's cool. And I do think people should play other sports and I don't, to me, like, I guess maybe to get on Felipe's level or people like him, like the Mendez brothers, maybe you just need to have one sport. But to me, like for the, the overwhelming majority of us, I think it's great that you're doing other sports and enjoying variety truly to me is the spice of life. So, Oh yeah, I love it. I love it. And it's associated with my work. So it only helps with what I do work wise, but I love it. It's, it's nothing only, to do with tenure. There's honor. No. Okay. I got that. I got that DJ. So I'm, I'm kind of safe now. Okay. We're good. All right. <laughs> You've already got the Ivy growing on the side of your house. Um, <laughs> so, anyway. but I did it for for those of you who didn't think you can kind of weave golf and jujitsu together. That was at least an attempt to. You did do it. Um, you're fantastic, Will. Um, we've got to do this again because you're really good on the show, and we waited way too long for for this to happen because um, you're very good at uh, talking about MMA and you illuminated some things about training, some myths that you've dispelled that me and other people have had um, that we're way over generalizing things like altitude um, and um, and that's interesting so uh, yeah. you know, well the next the next time we go in the we do this we'll go in the lab and then what we'll do is we'll have a little myth busting. Uh, session where I'll bring in each of my colleagues from each of the different sports science areas, and then we'll just like bust some myths that are out there. Oh, that'll be so yeah. cool, that'd man! Like, All right, so cool MMA segment. BJJ and life will uh, transit to Long Beach State, where we'll get educated, and you know, hopefully, I won't sound like a total idiot in front of your colleagues. But um, oh no, not at all. I'll 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 work on it. So <laughs> anyway, you are the Renaissance man. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. R E N A I. Anyway, S. So anyway, it's implicit knowledge. It's not explicit. You're okay. So it was an absolute pleasure to have you on, Professor Will Wu. I know you don't like when I call you that because I'm doing it at the Jiu-Jitsu Academy, but you. Oh are man, that makes me. Oh man, I get greatest. all weirded out. You are the greatest kind of professor, one that's uh, teaching other people and sharing your knowledge and the value that whatever you're being paid, I'm sure it's not enough as it is for any of the teachers out there that are teaching high school and middle school and elementary school as well. So um, so we'll have to do this again. Again, on, on Twitter, it is at MMA underscore BJJ underscore and life. Um, hit me up on there, uh, djsanmarco1 at gmail.com if you want to tell me how much you don't like the show. I'm interested to hear it. and Or that you think my opinions are garbage. That'll be cool as well. Um, and Will Wu, uh, professor at Long Beach State. So we're going to we're gonna transit down there and, um, and get educated. 
And uh, on behalf of Will, I want to uh, thank you all for tuning in. And since we took you in on Led Zeppelin and Traveling Riverside Blues, we will take you out. Will, thanks a lot, my brother. My pleasure. Anytime, Coach DJ. You're the man. (laughs) You're the man. All right, we're going to take him out on the police, bring on the night, and I will see you uh, this upcoming week, okay? Yes, for sure. All right, for for, uh, Will Wu, this is DJ San Marco saying peace out on MMA BJJ and life.